Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer, brought to you by Tucker Milling. Join Andy Schneider, National Spokesperson for the USDA APHIS Avian Health Program, Editor-in-Chief of Chicken Whisperer Magazine, and author of The Chicken Whisperer's Guide to Keeping Chickens, Chicken Factor Chicken Poop, and Zero Waste Chicken Keeping, as he welcomes top poultry veterinarians, poultry scientists, and poultry nutritionists to discuss the hot topics in the poultry world today and provide science-based, fact-based, study-based information to help you raise the healthiest poultry possible. And now, here's your host, Andy Schneider. All righty. Thank you very much for tuning in today to Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer brought to you by Tucker Milling. You can probably hear that uh, through my voice that something's going on, and believe me, the last six weeks, something's definitely been going on. And I'll just share that story with you because after broadcasting the show for 12 years, I've got a lot of great chicken family out there, um, followers and fans and friends that I've met touring the country for 12 years, all over 37 states plus thousands of people I've met, talked, notes, emails, the whole nine yards. So I'll just, my host chat today, I'll start at the beginning. Um, I had some routine surgery on July 2nd. Uh, very routine, and uh, uh, I got that. I got through that flying colors. I mean, literally just Advil after surgery. It was basically a triple hernia surgery. They did it all at once, <clears throat> um, <clears throat> and uh, I got through that flying colors. Literally just Advil and Tylenol, and that was it. Um, I'm not sure yet. We're still trying to investigate if the surgery. Uh, reared a couple of other underlying issues. So I visited some urologists and some uh, gastroenterologist doctors. We're still in the process of revisiting with both of those specialists. Um, But I was bedridden for about three weeks. Um, I lost a ton of weight. And um, as of date, since since my surgery on January 2nd, um, I've lost about 35 pounds. Not the way you really want to lose weight, but uh, I, I guess I'll take it. And um, but I had zero appetite, zero. Um, it was it's horrible. But I made some changes and some medications and things like that, and I started to get better, which was fantastic. Um, I still needed to follow up with a urologist and uh, the GI docs, but I was literally turning the curve. And the next thing you know. The Delta variant hit our family. So all four of us, Caleb, Lily, uh, Jen, and myself, we got to, we got the COVID. <clears throat> and uh, it was a very, very interesting situation. Uh, I'm, I'm still getting over COVID. Um, the kids, 8 and 10, uh, they came through at Flying Colors, even with uh, – um, we were really concerned about Caleb having type 1 diabetes, juvenile diabetes, and whatnot. But, uh, shoot, his blood sugars were just fine the whole time. All they had was some chest congestion uh, and a low-grade fever. And uh, literally probably less than seven days, they were back 100%, totally over it. So they, they flew through it no problem. Uh, my wife, she had some chest congestion and a low-grade fever. Um, and then the uh, with COVID, the um, <clears throat> um, uh, and being lethargic and tiredness kicks in. 
So uh, she was a trooper. She worked through that. Uh, it's probably been a couple of weeks now, and I would say she's at 90%. So um, she, uh, and, and the only 10%, the reason why she's not 100% is that the 90%, um, she just, when she's doing farm chores, uh, she just wears out a little faster. Uh, but that's it. So I'd say she's, I'd say another week she'll be back at 100%. <clears throat> um, I got the COVID, got tested positive. Uh, it was just kind of like a bad cold. I did not have the chest congestion, but I had the head and stuffiness and the head sinus congestion. Um, and I had a higher grade fever. So I had a higher fever and the congestion was from the neck up. Uh, you know, being a former paramedic, we have all the stuff here. We have oxygen, defibrillators, pulse ox, blood pressure, all that. So, of course, I'm monitoring all that. Um, and my, my um, blood oxygen never really dropped below 90. But, um, but anyway, but I got severely dehydrated. Appetite went away to zero. Uh, Jen had to force me literally to drink. But I, I tailspin so fast that no matter how much I orally drank, I could not catch up with my body. I had to have IV fluids. So I went to the a little urgent care center because, you know, as a paramedic, you know, the golden rule, you don't go to the ER unless your head's, you know, dangling behind you or or, uh, <laughs> or you're literally on your deathbed. <clears throat> so I went to the doc in the box. He was adamant. Uh, he was, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, cautious to treat me. He said, you should just go straight to the ER at your your, your level. But I'll go ahead and treat you. So he gave me some fluids with some Toradol and some steroids in it. That lasts for a day and a half, five, 500 cc's, 500 milliliters. <clears throat> and then I tanked again. So uh, I woke up uh, maybe last Thursday, maybe it was a week ago. Yeah, I guess it was a week ago today. And I said, I got to go to the ER. <clears throat> I'm not getting any better, and I'm tanking. So uh, I got to the ER, uh, put me in triage. I was in triage maybe five minutes. That was it. And then they called my name. I was in a wheelchair. And they wheeled me back, <clears throat> and um, they uh, – um, did all their vitals and whatnot, and then they, I started hearing, you know, we have a rapid COVID response here. I need a room. So they rushed me back to the room, and I'm laying down there, all sprawled out, IV left arm, RV right arm. Here comes the Tylenol. Here comes the doctor. Um, <clears throat> he sets his plan, uh, Renzividar, whatever, you, how you pronounce it, Renzividar, um, two types of antibiotics, steroids, blood thinners, all this stuff. <clears throat> so I'm in the ER for about uh, seven or eight hours until they can get me a room. Um, then they get me a room, and then again I'm still set up every however many minutes are coming in and hanging IV bags with blood thinners and two different types of antibiotics running through two different arms to prevent the uh, COVID uh, pneumonia from setting in. Um, they did another thing I think the next day before I went home. Uh, they, they kept me overnight, uh, actually about two days, uh, but just one night. <clears throat> and then they did another rendezvous. I guess it's pronounced, and then um, things started looking on the up and up, and then they sent me home with a whole bag of uh, a whole bag of of meds to take. So I'm now pretty much done. I've just got I'm done with my steroids. I still have some blood thinner to take, the vitamin D, um, steroids, blood thinner. What else? Oh, they put me on a Z pack to try to again keep that. Um, um, uh, COVID pneumonia from setting in lungs and whatnot. So uh, it's been. I guess one week today since I was in the hospital with the COVID, but um, two days ago I noticed, wow, just an all of a sudden change in, in, in getting better. So that's fantastic. Every day now um, I'm waking up, a lot more energy. <clears throat> I still get weak easy. I still get tired easy. I still take a nap during the day, which if you've known me for 52 years on this earth, I'm not a nap guy. If I lay down to take a nap, my mind goes a million miles a minute. I could be doing this, doing this, doing this, doing this. So. <clears throat> that's that's you know that's COVID for you. Um, <coughs> pardon me. And so, uh, but yeah, every single day, like I said, I'm waking up a little bit more rejuvenated, uh, feeling overall general, generally better, uh, with a little bit more energy. I want to do things. My appetite's coming back. Uh, my thirst is coming back, which is great. Um, I'm still losing a little bit of weight because I'm still not back to my full appetite. Um, eating maybe just two small meals a day. Uh, but I'm making sure I'm getting lots of fluids. <clears throat> but the craziest thing is um, the different symptoms that we all had, other folks that in the community that I've talked to and I'm friends with that have had the COVID lately, and their symptoms is like all totally different with this, I guess, Delta variant that we've got. Um, but, but the cravings, it's crazy. I almost feel like maybe I'm pregnant <laughs> because literally like last night, 
Uh, I didn't get to bed till 5 a.m. I just couldn't go to sleep. That's another thing. The COVID, uh, I just, your sleep is so screwed up. I mean, I just, I'll sit in bed just wide awake. I, Advil, Advil, um, the Benadryl doesn't work, uh, melatonin, you're just wide awake. And you just do deal with it. But at 3 a.m. last night in the morning, um, it's the cravings. The, I call it COVID cravings. It's crazy. <laughs> I'm sitting there going, man, I really would like to have an ice-cold shrimp cocktail with cocktail sauce. Just dip those ice-cold shrimp in that cold red cocktail sauce. Uh, not, really? When's the last time I had a shrimp cocktail? I can't even imagine. It's probably been way over three years. It may have been a Christmas party or something we went to. But um, I was like, wow, wow, I crave it. And then what, what did I want as a chaser or a side? A nice, hot, greasy piece of cheese pizza. I was like, so here I am. I'm picturing myself eating the fr- <laughs> shrimp cocktail, ice cold, and then chasing it with a piece of greasy, you like New York style cheese pizza. Crazy cravings. It's absolutely insane. <laughs> Try to think of something else I could share with you that I would be craving. Um, I haven't had a 69 cent frozen pot pie since probably my grandmother was alive but i went through a little week you know at time where i was like what do you want for dinner and i said it figures me an old 69 cent chicken pot pie <laughs> so it was stouffer's or whatever and then um and then it was potato soup and so breakfast, you know lunch and dinner it was a canned potato soup with a lot of pepper in it and then i think tonight i'm going to try some canned beef stew i haven't had any really meat uh in weeks <clears throat> we'll add the chicken pot pie um, so what, two, three slices is <laughs> chunks of chicken. So, um, but I think tonight I'm going to try some beef stew and mainly eat the uh, the beef out of that um, <clears throat> and try to get that, uh, get some beef in me, some protein. So uh, it's been a whirlwind uh, medical over the last uh, six weeks. <clears throat> and um, it's, uh, <laughs> um, I'm going to contact Bridget here. Let her know we're on. I don't see her in the queue here. <clears throat> Hopefully that'll go through. Um, <clears throat> it's been a whirlwind. So I've uh, tried to maintain some normalcy with work, uh, some posting on the Facebook, contacting my sponsors, different things like that. And then uh, we got the radio show today. So I'm hoping that uh, <clears throat> Bridget will, uh, she knows about the show, confirmed it yesterday, confirmed this morning, <clears throat> just sent her an email we're in. So hopefully she'll be signing on here in just a second. My, one of my favorite shows with her, Poultry Research Translated. I love this show because she takes uh, recent um, poultry studies and findings and research and then translate them for us lay noobs uh, that keep back our chickens and how some of this new science may affect us either today or a few years down the road. Uh, we never know whether it's going to be uh, nutrition or husbandry practices. Whatever the case may be. So I'm waiting for her to call in, folks. I just wanted to update you on my health condition. I am uh, slowly but surely getting back to normal. Um, and uh, we appreciate all the uh, prayers and concerns and thoughts and, and all that great stuff. So I'm going to go ahead and, and go to commercial break. So when we get Dr. McRae on here, we can just roll with this poultry research translated. Uh, also, during the break, you can get pen and paper out, take some notes. Some of it may be very pertinent to your backyard flocks. Uh, right now. So let me go to commercial break, get the first one out of the way. Stay with us. We'll be back with poultry scientist Dr. McRae and poultry research translated. When you need an incubator, think Brincy, the incubation specialists. Brincy has been a world leading manufacturer of quality incubators for almost 40 years. They manufacture incubators that hold anywhere from 7 to 380 eggs with high-quality electronic and digital controls, including precise humidity controls and programmable egg turning, all at surprisingly affordable prices. Enter the coupon code WHISPER at checkout and receive 10% off your entire order. Order your new incubator today at Brincy.com. That's B-R-I-N-S-E-A.com. Are you dealing with a stinky coop or brooder? Backyard chicken owners are loving Chick Fresh. Not only does it eliminate the nasty odors, but it also eliminates the dangerous and unhealthy ammonia. You can use Chick Fresh in your coop, brooder, garbage can, litter boxes, and more. Even use it in your spouse's smelly shoes. Get your bottle 15% off today by going to coopcarespecial.com. Take back control and say no to nasty odors. 
Ideal Poultry has been a family-owned and operated business since 1937. Their business is built on customer service and quality poultry. From rare white and brown egg layers to broilers, ducks, turkeys, and bantams, Ideal Poultry is the largest supplier of backyard poultry in the United States, shipping close to 5 million chicks annually. Visit them online at IdealPoultry.com. That's IdealPoultry.com. The Yardbird Chicken Plucker takes the hassle out of backyard chicken processing by fully defeathering birds in just 15 seconds. Powered by a 1.5 horsepower electric motor, the Yardbird Chicken Plucker can handle two 8-pound birds at one time, while the built-in irrigation ring keeps your hands free for other butchering tasks. The 20-inch stainless steel drum features 110 rubber plucking fingers that gently remove feathers and dirt without tearing the skin. When butchering is complete, the plucker rinses clean with just soap and water. To learn more or purchase your plucker, visit YardbirdPluckers.com. Since 1921, Stromberg's has been a family-owned and operated business providing quality poultry and poultry supplies to their customers. Today, the Stromberg's family offers over 200 different breeds of poultry, including chickens, waterfowl, and game birds. They also offer poultry supplies for both the beginner and experienced poultry keeper. Stromberg should be on the top of your list when it's time to order your new day-old baby chicks and poultry supplies. Order online today at StrombergsChickens.com. That's StrombergsChickens.com. Metzer Farms is now hatching and shipping the premier egg layer. This girl is consistently laying jumbo eggs with a higher nutrient density and lower water content than your eggs now. She is an extremely hardy bird and the most heat and cold tolerant egg layer available, allowing for year-round outdoor production. An eggshell unmatched in sturdiness and thickness, making cracks a thing of the past. Increase your health and double your egg profits. Of course, we're talking about ducks. Duck eggs are revered by chefs for their succulent flavor and by bakers for being the better baking egg. Learn more about this extraordinary duck, the Golden 300, or any of our other 35-plus breeds of ducks and geese at MetzerFarms.com and order your next flock from us. And now we return to Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer with your host, Andy Schneider. Alrighty, thank you very much for staying with us today on Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer, brought to you by our good friends over at Tucker Milling. In fact, no no joke, right this very second, my wife is out with the big F-350 one-ton, and uh, she's going over to uh, Brookshire Feeds, uh, our uh, local mom-and-pop feed store of choice, and she is loading up on some Tucker Milling feed, both for our chickens and our goats and our turkeys and uh, what else do we have here? The cows are in the freezer. Um, I know we got more. Oh, our hogs. She's getting hog feed today. So she's loading up the back of the truck with, I'm sure, <laughs> a boatload of Tucker Millen feed today. So maybe I can get out there and get a picture and share it on the Facebook page when she arrives back. Alrighty, folks, we've got our great friend, <clears throat> poultry scientist, Dr. Bridget McCray. <laughs> she's called in, and we've got Poultry Research Translated, my favorite show that she's done over the last 12 years of broadcasting, <laughs> and um, it is awesome. But I'm still in the – I'll remind you again, I'm in the COVID haze, if you will. So please, no trick questions because I don't want to really embarrass myself okay. today, but, but I definitely <laughs> love the show. So I will turn it over to you, my friend. <clears throat> oh, you definitely sound different. I'm I'm glad you're well-er. Uh <laughs> Is that a word? Yeah, Weller. I'm Weller I, now. You're Weller now. <laughs> yeah, the, all the listeners got about a 15-minute review of the last six weeks, so um, they, uh, just to get, get them caught up. But, yeah, I do hope I'm on the good old road to recovery. Well, folks, I think I'll take over for Andy because I hear him coughing. Um, give him a chance to kind of take a breather there. Um <laughs> One of the, the topics I wanted to share with you guys, sorry, I've got a dog in my office and she's scratching. I hope you can't hear that. Um, but um, one of the things that 
eventually, when Andy's feeling better, we hope to get him to Auburn because we're doing some really awesome research on behalf of backyard sloth owners um, on a topic similar to the one that I'm going to talk about in this poultry research um, translated. But, um, you know, he's got to get better first, um, folks, and then, you know, we've got to have something uh, um, ready for him to, to come explore. But uh, this first article is an uh, approach to alternative strategies to control avian coccidiosis and necrotic enteritis. Now, coccidiosis, a lot of backyard flock owners have heard of it. Sometimes it's called imeria or coxie. Um, but necrotic enteritis is probably not something that everybody's used to hearing about. Sometimes the two diseases go hand in hand, especially with meat birds. Once avian coccidiosis punches holes in the gut, because that's what it does, it it um, punches holes in the, the lining of the intestinal tract um, and breeds in the lining of the intestinal tract. That's really disruptive. And any bacteria that's in there can then enter those same holes and the bird can become septic. Bird has an even harder time trying to fight things off. And necrotic enteritis can ensue. And it just necrotic means um, it's dying and enteritis is an inflammation of the gut. So you've got sections of the gut that just can't hack it. Um, necrotic enteritis is caused by um, Clostridium perfringens, which is a bacteria that really does prefer less oxygen, so it's an anaerobe. Um, but the two can go hand in hand. So that's one of the things that people are, a lot of times I hear backyard flock owners, oh, don't worry, it's just coxie. Yeah, and... This other thing can come alongside with it. And that other thing can end your bird. And that's not exactly fair to them. Uh, especially when it's preventable. Ethically, what have you done? So let's talk about um, some of the alternatives that have been explored by this research group. Um, this particular group is a, a combination of folks that are in Mississippi State, um, Wisconsin, and then Hawaii. Don't I wish I worked there? <laughs> so these folks, um, you know, we we all understand that there are more and more restrictions on what you can do to raise poultry and antibiotic growth promoters, pretty much um, out ionophores problems. So um, with those things out of the picture, there's been an increase in the incidence of gut diseases, um, specifically by coccidiosis and necrotic enteritis. Um, so honestly, what the backyard flock owner has been doing for years, searching for alternatives, um, the commercial poultry industry is now faced to do the same thing as look at those alternatives but they can kind of do the work in a larger scale. Or actually they work with research scientists to do this at a larger scale. Um, so hopefully down the road there will be some some commercial alternative um, strategies that will benefit small flock owners as well. All right. What can happen? You can get a lot of mortality. You can get um, seriously, seriously reduced welfare in the birds. Um, when you've got a, a big load of disease-causing organisms in your birds, then your final product, whether it's meat or eggs, can become contaminated either interior or exteriorly. Um, so. It's a stressful situation. It stresses the bird's immune system. It's a disturbance to their ecosystem inside their gut. Um, so one of the things they wanted to take a look at was how well or what is the potential for improving gut health while reducing overall disease. They looked at probiotics, 
prebiotics, organic acids, essential oils, vaccination, because you know you can vaccinate for coccidiosis, and some natural um, phytochemical extracts and going into the diet. Um, they kind of wanted to see if there was any one thing or maybe a, a combination of strategies. You know, there's there's a lot of things out there, um, and they reviewed them. They took a look and, and said, all right, so what seems to work? What should you know? What should we re- what should we examine further? Um, what has a lot of potential? And sometimes that means, unfortunately, I know the majority of your listeners, Andy, are egg-laying um, uh, listeners, but honestly, sometimes you get a faster result on um, meat birds, and, and sometimes if it's a student research project, you just get a faster turnaround when you use meat birds. So sure. one of the things is my interest um, was looking at essential oils, and I, I kind of was like, all right, um, let's look into that one a little bit more. Um, there's natural products, there's extracts. Some are from fungus, some are from plants, and some of them have had some kind of an effect positively on coccidiosis control. Um, some have an inhibition effect on the different stages of imeria um, and their life cycle. So um, things like oregano, um, carvacrol, thymol, cinema, I always mess this one up, cinema aldehyde. Um, so uh, there are, and, and that does not mean sprinkle cinnamon on your chicken feed and that's going to have the same effect. Mm-hmm. no. This is a concentrated extract on something specific. Um, so uh, you have to you have to be considerate of the differences in what you have in your pantry and what you have um, that you can buy from a supplier, like maybe a, a chemical supplier. It's hard to say that some of these are chemicals, but yeah, oregano oils is considered, you know, parts of it are considered chemical, thymol, carvacrol. And that's that's the the part that I struggle with a little bit is is once you get delved into the parts of a plant, there's actually the effective components. Um and maybe given in amounts that work then suddenly it's a chemical and nobody wants to use it anymore. Well, uh, it's a cyclical argument sometimes. Um, So sometimes when you're using one of these essential oil components, um, it's either got an anti-inflammatory effect or an antioxidant effect. Um, Sometimes it affects uh, the organism's ability to create damage or maybe it helps with the um, increase in immune cells or cytokines. And they're very helpful in causing the body to react versus being a barrier to particular organisms. Um, for like example, cinema aldehyde. Cinema aldehyde, yes. <laughs> I don't know why I struggle that one. Um, you know, sometimes they give the um, sometimes they'll give it to the birds directly, and they're looking for an antibody response when the bird is challenged with the uh, coccidiosis. Sometimes they're looking at physical changes in the birds when you are challenging them after giving cinema aldehyde. So maybe there's a change or a modification in the the cells of the intestinal mucus wall. So these are the these are the details that are going to help you, the small flock owners, um, down the road. Um, because 
I understand that not everybody wants to feed medicated feed. Not everybody wants to um, to their birds in the same way that perhaps a commercial industry producer would. They want to be that different from commercial industry. Well, commercial industry is changing the way they do things. And so if you hopefully won't shut the door on some of the things that commercial industry now does, that may open the door for more options in what you can use in the feeds and treatments. Um, Prebiotics and probiotics, there are several products out there. Um, I know that there's like Chicken Delight that is out there and readily accessible for small flock holders. And, you know, it's a it's a probiotic. So you can you can see that there's perhaps something in that particular component that you put in the feed that the bird eats and then once they're given a challenge, an intestinal challenge with um I'm Mary with coccidiosis, then you look at the reaction. And some probiotics containing different kinds of bacterium have been shown to reduce coccidiosis, at least in broilers, um, even increasing or improving their growth performance. Um, so that's that's not to say that, you know, letting them free range and, and eating off your garden is going to be the same solution. But just know that there are, are changes on the horizon that I think you will enjoy. And as products are developed that result from opening the eyes to what research is out there, um, you might find different products that you're willing to give to your chickens or you might be willing to change the way you do things on your farm, in your flock, to be more effective and be less tolerant of allowing um, detrimental disease-causing organisms to affect your flock in a negative manner. So there you go. Questions, Andy, before I move on to the next one? No, not at all. I know that a lot of backyarders have dealt with the coccidiosis over the years. And uh, at the end of the day, after all these years we've been doing this, I've noticed that um, kind of off topic regarding the medicated chick starter is that – I've noticed that backyard keepers that have uh, dealt with the horror of coccidiosis now pretty much religiously feed the medicated feed because they've seen the horrendous effects of it. Those that have fortunately not uh, experienced <laughs> the coccidiosis are like, oh, I, I don't do that. I've never had a problem. Da, 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 da. So, and I think that goes with anything in all of our lives. If we've experienced something, we, we then treat it differently because we've experienced it. But um, yeah, and we always hear about the broilers having those gut issues uh, that can cause a lot of problems in their little six-week lifespan. Uh, that they have. So, um, no, all that sounds great. And I agree that the backyarder wants to do things, at least first, try to do things uh, all natural. Um, But then uh, I I, I see in this kind of trend that they'll try that first, and if it doesn't work, they'll go to the, you know, whatever you want to call it, the good stuff, the chemical stuff, the commercial stuff, the drugs, the um, chemicals. Um, You just hope that uh, they didn't wait too long to uh based on how many flock members they that they lost trying something uh else but that's again we all make those decisions all day long in our lives so whatever it may be but yeah th- that was great and i can see i can follow uh that whole pathway over the last 12 years of watching and talking to the backyarders about the coccidiosis specifically and it's hard because the chicks have no choice but mm-hmm. to live with your decisions. And some people are more um, willing to let a chicken die than others. Mm-hmm. And really that is that is the decision of your management system. But, you know, keep disease on your farm and your farm only, though. Um, 
that's that's part of the part of the issue at hand. But sure. let's move on to a different article. Um, again, with probiotics and prebiotics, taking a look at salmonella and laying hens, because I know a lot of your listeners have laying hens. Um, salmonella can, of course, end up inside shell eggs, and it can also end up on meat products. Um, but you know, there's a lot of different. Um, a lot of different things that are taken a look at. Sorry, the dog's eating something she shouldn't. Um, a lot of things that are looked at to, to make sure that the food that is served is not adulterated. And that's why we teach people how to process their chickens, how to handle their eggs properly, so that you're not serving food that is going to make you sick, that's going to make your neighbor sick. And salmonella is one of those organisms that can historically be found in eggs because it can be passed right inside of the egg, the raw egg, from the hen. You can't look at the outside of an egg and see if it's infected. So there's lots of targeted um, food safety programs. So one of these um, researchers specifically from Missouri, Georgia, Missouri and Georgia, they looked at prebiotics and probiotics in combination with feed additive products, something called Fulfill Plus. And they were looking specifically at Salmonella enteritidis, which is the one that we were talking about, the famous one, like skin into laying hens and intermittently mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. end up in the egg yolks. And what they did is they raised the, the pullet they used highline pullets, um, and they um, raised them up on brand-new litter until they were about 10 weeks old, and then they moved them into individual cages. And they had three treatments. They had a control, which we all know, untreated. They had the group that had probiotics and prebiotics given in combination from day zero until the end of the study. And then they had another group that had probiotics and prebiotics that were given from week 10 until the end of the study. And when those chickens were 17 weeks old, they gave them a specific strain that they could track of Salmonella enteritidis. And they went back seven days after giving them the challenge and 14 days after giving them the challenge. And they harvested those birds to take a look at, all right, where did this salmonella end up? Mm-hmm. Did it end up in the ovaries? Can we find it in the gut, specifically the cica, which are those two blind-ended pouch in the digestive tract? And they collected samples of those areas and they cultured for that specific trackable strain of salmonella. What they found? Well, there was a difference. Uh, They found that between seven days of being infected with that salmonella and 14 days of being infected, there was a difference in the prevalence of the salmonella. Um. They found that the probiotic and prebiotic combination that was given at week 10 until the end of the study, which was treatment three, that particular treatment group significantly reduced their salmonella and aridotis numbers in the CICA compared to those chickens that received the probiotic and prebiotic at day zero, which was treatment two. (laughs) That's crazy. I know. Um, you know, they 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 found that there there was significant differences in, in the prevalence and and number of Salmonella and Ereditus in the ovary um, with treatment two. The group that got the probiotic and prebiotic at day zero had fewer salmonella in their ovary than the chickens that got the probiotic and prebiotic at week 10. So if you want something a little more short-term, 
maybe that's when, you know, you get salmonella control in the gut. Longer term, maybe start them young and you can affect the ovary more significantly. <laughs> Interesting results, isn't it? It's so totally what opposite. Thoughts, What's wrong with your head? <laughs> Y'all hear me laughing. I'm sure in the background, it's like, okay, so we'll just start all this probiotic later. And we got an improvement in a totally different part of the chicken. And then we'll start it earlier, and we get an improvement in a totally other different part of the chicken. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, darned if I do, darned if I don't. Or let's just, you know, hey, that's that's, it makes the science behind that, that um, how different. Well, imagine if it were your study. What if it had been your project? What would, (laughs) you know, you'd have to explain that as a student. <laughs> Pardon me. Yeah, I'd just be shaking my head going, this can't be happening to me right now. <laughs> How do I do? <laughs> Look at these two different results. Um, I will say for, that when you talk about salmonella, <clears throat> one of the still things that I struggle with when, when I mention and I share that um, article you do about rodent control, and how, you know, um, rodents can contribute to salmonella both inside and outside the egg. And and just I'm I'm fathomed by the amount of people that say, uh, and we've all heard this and we see it, well, I've kept chickens for 30 years. I've never had salmonella from my chickens. And and I follow that up trying to be, you know, very, I don't know if it's politically correct or very just open to them. I'm like, you know, look, (coughs) in the last 30 years. You can't see what you don't look for. Would they have no idea if they've had it or not unless they've been tested? Because I said, let's say that, you know, oh, that time you ate at the Chinese buffet and you got diarrhea and and the vomits and all of that. And you just think, oh, it was the Chinese buffet. You didn't get tested. You don't know. It could have been from your eggs, could have been salmonella from your eggs. Oh, I had this tummy issue. I had mild diarrhea. I had this. I had that. There's no way, no way on earth in the last, you've kept chickens 35 years, and you just throw out the statement, I've never had salmonella from my chickens. But you've, any time you've had that tummy upset, that diarrhea, that, that you, what you called food poisoning, oh, bad Chinese, you don't know. That could have been salmonella from your chickens, period. There's no way you can say that without getting tested and then saying, hey, yes, this was or was not salmonella. So all of that is moot. They say that, but there's absolutely no way anybody on this earth can tell you you didn't have salmonella from your chickens, and you just – you know, wrote it off as bad Chinese buffet or a bad cold slaw at a family reunion. There's no way. <clears throat> so I just tell people, yeah, it's rare, but there's still no way you can say that without any kind of certainty. Yep. You can't, you can't, you can't see what you don't look for. Yeah. And if, if you want to turn a blind eye, then, then just, you know, making I claims I mean, I, like I, that. Does not help someone who wants to know. So. I totally get it. Nobody wants to blame their beloved chickens in their backyard that they love. I mean, we're going to try to blame the bad guy, the coleslaw, the family reunion, the Chinese buffet, the you know raw chicken that ate at Popeyes or whatever. You know, it's just like you know they they don't. The last thing they're going to do is want to blame their pride and joy backyard flock. I get it. I get it. I totally get it. Well. Let's move on to a different kind of research study, something less associated with germy germs. Okay. People are looking at the slower-growing broiler breeders that are growing at a slower pace um, during the the rearing stages. Um, Normally, you have to feed-restrict broiler breeders because you know, they're eating machines, and what they do is they breed and lay <laughs> eggs that are sent to the hatchery. What do you have next? <laughs> yeah, the, the restrict and feed for those guys. <laughs> yeah, they are eating machines, yes. <laughs> um, so there is a welfare concern with feed restriction. Broiler breeders, they are, you know, if you're if you're not Johnny on the spot right away with feed, they'll, man, I'd hate to like fall down in that house. They might eat me, but you know they they get excited when the food comes in, um, and so that's a welfare concern. You know, what's their behavioral signs of hunger? Um, what are the f- physiological signs of hunger? Are they ever satiated? Um, and then what? 
what is because of the feed restriction are they frustrated um behaviors so animal and are behavior they eating, has are they eating the bedding what? are they eating the shavings they get hungry they're like there's there's no food and they'll and you taught me this when we were <laughs> brothers here they're like you, you you know you they run out of food they're going to start eating all those shavings on the ground <laughs> <laughs> yeah you've got to have them on a timing system so that you don't get to that point um <clears throat> But there was a research study out of Canada that was looking at slower-growing broiler breeders during the raising, rearing phase. Mm -hmm. Um, They wanted to see what the performance was and the welfare was. They took 360 broiler breeders from three female strains and two male strains and raised them in four identical identical pens per strain. So there were replications. Um, Strain B and C pullets and um, one of the um, strains of cockerels, um, ex-cockerels, were slower-growing strains, and then they had um, intermediate-growing strains that they were comparing them to. So the birds were weighed. um, They were scored on their foot pad lesions. um, They were looked at for the presence of hawk burns. They also looked at feather coverage. Um, they used um, statistical analysis to see if there were any differences. And, of course, they found that Shocker, the intermediately intermediate growing strain of pullet, strain A, grew faster than the slow-growing strain. <laughs> Not a surprise, right? Right, but, right. <laughs> um, the faster growing strain had poor body weight uniformity though and they they started to have to feed restrict two weeks two weeks earlier to control the growth rate on those mm-hmm. intermediate growing birds strain a strain a pullets also which was the intermediate growing pullet had higher rates of feeding um, between three and five weeks of age they drank more um, between four and five weeks of age. And they also had a higher prevalence of foot pad lesions when they were six, six weeks old compared to the pullet strains of B and C, which were the slower-growing pullets. Mm-hmm. Um, so one of the things that can be a sign that there's chronic stress in your chickens are called fault bars. You find those in wing feathers. And they found them to be more numerous in strain A pullets than in the slower-growing pullets. Um, They also found that um, pullets pullets showed little feather coverage loss in the early end of their rearing. They also had good body weight uniformity and fairly low feed intake, cumulative feed intake, because remember, these are meat-producing chickens and mm-hmm. feed costs money and you want an efficient bird that converts feed to meat. So, you know, they may be eating a lot, but you do want it to convert well. Mm-hmm. Um, Slower-growing broiler breeders um, might still need to have some some form of feed restriction. Um, this would probably need to affect their growth rate and strains down the road. Strains that are selected with um, less need for feed restriction um, but still good growth control, um, those will probably be the ones that might be selected based on lots of other factors as well, and could end up as the breeders, the broiler breeders that that produce the chickens that we eat 10 years from now because the selection process does take time. Now, it's not like a cow. It doesn't take a year or so for them to, to mm-hmm. give birth and, and see changes. We can make things fa- happen a little faster, but still, um, other things can pop up that you have to control for and go back to the drawing board. And, and some of these companies are doing just that. 
now so that the chicken that we eat 10 years from now is ready to go. Fewer concerns. Because they listen. They do listen. They hear what is being said amongst the different communities of customers and the different communities of growers and the different communities of pliers. Yep. And they do they do make changes. Constantly evolving. Poultry genetics is pretty exciting. That's All pretty right. awesome. I'll never, I don't know if I'll ever, ever use anything other than a good old Cornish cross fast growing. Because, um, again, about three years ago when we did that here and we did the fast growing and we did a, a slow growing red broiler. And then I was going to do a uh, dual purpose like a barred rock or something. And uh, and we videoed it, all that on our Facebook and lives and all that. And, I mean, like in seven weeks, man, we were processing those huge seven, eight pound birds. Um, and then we went to the slower red gro- the slower red broilers, and you know the the cost and feed went up, the time, the labor, and then the outcome when we processed them, and we had much much smaller birds based on our time and our money for our food and what we got out of them, and it, it just it, it just uh, <clears throat> kind of blew my enthusiasm that I didn't even do the dual purpose because I was like I'm not. Uh, going to now spend even more in feed and even more in time to probably still get a smaller bird. And, and you know, at the end of the day, I'll be honest with everybody as the day is long, I, I didn't really care too much about taste. I mean, I put these chickens in a rotisserie with some salt and pepper, and, and <coughs> we have it for a nightly meal. And then we may have chicken salad sandwiches. I may do the bone broth. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm totally happy with that. But it was between my time is worth something, hard work, and, and then my money of feeding these guys it was, uh, I don't know, if, you know, we'll still probably continue to do our 25 birds a year, uh, every year to stock the freezer. And uh, <clears throat> and we'll use those fast grower broilers. Now, um, <clears throat> I've never had anything like a Harvey Ushery, you know, pasture-raised chicken or that, you know, so I can't compare from experience like something like he's going to raise or um, <clears throat> what's that other guy that raised all those awesome turkeys um, out in Kansas, Love that guy, um, the heritage mm. stuff. So I can't I can't compare to something like that, uh, but I still honestly don't think that if I pay $40 for a chicken that I'm going to see with my money a taste difference that's going to make me say, oh, yeah, this is worth $40 when I'm just making chicken salad with mayonnaise and pickles. So... <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so that's that's just us on our, on our homestead. Well, but part of under- it, Andy, <laughs> is time. Yeah, you can get the same taste if you kept a broiler for, you know, twenty weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, because they start to change their hormone profile. Any bird that's older is going to taste different. Mm-hmm. Their mm-hmm. hormone profile changes. So, you know that's that's part of it. That's why you see a taste change because those birds have changed their hormones and you can get the same effect with broilers. But then again, why would you why would you want to put expensive feed in one end and have it come out the other end and it's almost, you know, just just to get that that change in and profile and flavor. It's your own personal farm decision as to what you want to put out there, what profile you want sure. to put out there. And I may notice that flavor as soon as I take it off the rotisserie and we have dinner. But but after that, when I load it up with mayonnaise and pickles and salt and pepper for my for my <laughs> uh, for my chicken salad sandwich, or when I go and and uh, uh, pressure cook it to get that bone broth out, and then make chicken noodle soup with the spices I put in it. It'll be irrelevant, I think. So I would initially just possibly get that uh, increased, uh, better taste right off the rotisserie for one meal, and then the rest is moot. So, um, <clears throat> so that's I don't know. That's just the way I look at it. I don't knock anybody for doing whatever they want to do. But just from here in our experience, you know, and my ten-year-old and eight-year-old surely aren't going to say, "Oh, well, this is so crazy good," and, <laughs> you know, <laughs> when they're like, "I want the now is Lily off. still your cooker <laughs> in the house?" Oh, absolutely. Yeah, she helps mom all the time. And we just did a whole bunch of, had a fantastic spring garden, probably the best 
<coughs> in some aspects, the best. We have the best corn, the best potatoes, and the best carrots we've ever had in the history of growing a garden. So we um, oh good. We, we had ton. We we also this year was the first year because we've done lots of dehydrating um, and canning, but we haven't done the pressure canning. Jen grabbed that bull by the horns this year, and she pressure canned so much stuff uh, using the USDA guidebook and all of that. So uh, corn and potatoes and green beans. Uh, that, that she can pressure can, so that was a great experience. So we put a lot away from uh, from growing out of our garden. In fact, yesterday she just brought in a, a cantaloupe, and she said, "I think this may be the best cantaloupe we've ever grown, uh, as far as sweet sweetness and taste." Because um, <coughs> we well, I have of... two new recipes for her. So when okay. she's ready, and they're egg recipes. So when she's ready to try something new, got something uh, for Lily. Lily love eggs. She'll she'll wake up eight years old. She'll cook her own eggs and toast or whatever. She loves eggs. Caleb won't touch them. Um, <coughs> let me tell you this <laughs> from our last show. From our last show, I have. It's been impossible. I still don't have one, Doctor McCray. I've checked uh, Kohl's. I've checked Walmart. I've checked Target. I've checked Kroger's. I've checked. Uh, I guess I'm just going to have to go into a into the big city. To, um, to to a, 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 a kitchen store, but I cannot find a um, angel food cake and, pan. Are you kidding me? Nowhere to be found. I, I went tried. Into Walmart and they have. <coughs> Walmart had. I look all over Walmart. They have the scallop bump pans. They've got some that have the shaped pan, but just a good old smooth, you know that 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 cone kind of shape. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. It, I cannot find one. So I guess when I maybe go into uh, closer into Atlanta, I'll try to find maybe a kitchen supply store, kitchen essentials, something I don't know, and 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 try to get one <coughs> because I I've, I've exhausted my searching here in the in this not really rural area, but you know. Um, and then of course I got kind of bummed because Jen heard me talking about it, and she's like. I just kind of want to let you know that I've never really big, been a big fan of angel food cake. <coughs> so I'm still going to make it because I like it. And I think that if I make it and it's good and it's got that little crust on the outside and I cover it with some fresh strawberries and whipped cream, that she'll change her tune pretty quick. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, guys, that's what I have to share with you today on Poultry Research Translated. Um have faith. Changes are on the horizon. I think you'll enjoy what you see in the next decade in keeping your backyard flocks healthy and producing well. But there you have it, folks. Just a I little bit it. of poultry research translated for you. This is perfect. I love the show. Always do. This is kind of lighthearted and, and it was great. I, I could uh, uh, participate a little bit, give my two cents worth as well, and and participate and add a little bit to the show, I think, today. So this was great. Thank you very much for coming on and kind of kicking off again the, uh, um, uh, the show. We've, we haven't had one in a, in a few weeks because of my health, but uh, the show must go on. After 12 years, we've got to keep plowing and making the sponsors <laughs> happy and, and educating the folks out there that want to hear all about their backyard flocks. So, Dr. McCray, thank you so much for coming on today. Great show, and we'll see you in a couple of weeks. Take care. Bye. You too. Thank you. Yeah, I love this show. She makes it so simple and so interesting um, so us uh, lay folks can, can be like, oh, well, that's cool, or I really like that on the horizon. Hopefully that'll that'll help us with this or that, or I can really implement that to my backyard, or, you know, maybe, maybe, <coughs> maybe it's not quite ready for me to be doing that yet, or uh, look at the future. The future is bright, and then it can trickle down to our backyard, which it always does from the commercial, um, just like when we go to IPPE and, uh, and showed you all the things that – uh, from the commercial standpoint, end up in our backyard, uh, and, and so much that we do in our backyard, whether we like it or not. <coughs> Pardon me. So that's awesome. But um, I'm going to wrap it up. My voice is starting to head out. My energy is starting to drop a little bit, but what a great show. I wanted to have it for you. Thanks to all our sponsors. Make sure you visit them and support them, of course, uh, as always. And uh, we will look forward to seeing you uh, next week. Uh, for another great episode by Tucker Miller. This has been Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer, brought to you by Tucker Milling, with your host, Andy Schneider. For more information, find us on the web at chickenwhisperer.com 
on Facebook by typing in The Chicken Whisperer, on Twitter at Backyard Poultry, and on Instagram at The Real Chicken Whisperer. Thanks for listening. If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio. If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC. Member SIPC.